Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture this evening is, or this morning is found in Ephesians 3, 1 through 3. For this reason I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. Well, God is good all the time. I want to ask you to think about what you would define success as. I was thinking about this last night, and when you set it against Jesus, there are a few things that really make me feel like my definition is is a little wonky. First of all, Jesus once said that the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. We often think that having a nice home is a mark of success, but Jesus was homeless. He had 12 apostles, and out of that 12, three were very close to him and went with him to certain intimate moments. Sometimes we think a mark of success is having a whole bunch of friends, but Jesus had very few. Sometimes we think a mark of success is being regarded important in certain people's eyes. But those people in Jesus' time, they all despised him. So when you think about success and failure in terms of how the gospel operates, we have to empty our minds of the way that the world thinks because it's totally backwards. There's a podcast that I listen to. There are many that I listen to. I don't, I don't hardly listen to the radio anymore um, because I get my news and I get a whole bunch of stuff out of podcasts. One of them is by a retired special ops uh, operator. He was a Navy SEAL. And he, I just love listening to those guys because they've got something that's different than most regular folks, and that is a mindset. A mindset is very important. I think as Christians, we ought to have a certain mindset as well. After all, Paul said to the Romans, he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we've got to learn to think differently than how we always have, because the world has a certain way of thinking, given the definitions of success and failure. But this uh, podcast guy that I listen to, his name is Jocko Willink. He told a story, and I'm going to read this, and I want you to, uh, I, I want you just to listen, if you would, please. How do I deal with setbacks, failures, delays, defeats, or other disasters? I actually have a fairly simple way of dealing with these situations summed up in one word, good. This is something one of my direct subordinates, one of the guys who worked for me, a guy who became one of my best friends, pointed out. He'd pull me aside with some major problem or issue that was going on, and he'd say, boss, we've got this thing, this situation, it's going terribly wrong. I'd look at him and I'd say, good. 
Finally, one day he was telling me about something that was going off the rails. And as soon as he finished explaining it to me, he said, I already know what you're going to say. And I asked him, well, what am I going to say? He said, you're going to say good. Because that's what you always say. When something is wrong or going bad, you just look at me and say, good. And I said, well, I mean it because it's how I operate. So I explained to him that when things are going bad, there's going to be some good that'll come from it. Oh, the mission got canceled? Good. We can focus on another one. Didn't get that new high-speed gear we wanted? Good. We can keep it simple. Didn't get promoted? Good. More time to get better. Didn't get funded? Good. We own more of the company. Didn't get the job you wanted? Good. Go out, gain more experience, and build a better resume. Got injured? Good. Needed a break from training. Got tapped out? Good. It's better to tap out in training than to tap out on the street. Got beat? Good. We learned. Unexpected problems? Good. We have to figure out a solution. That's it. He goes on. When things are going bad, don't get all bummed out. Don't get, don't get started. Don't get frustrated. Just look at the issue and say, good. Now, I don't mean to say something trite. I'm not going to sound like Mr. Smiley positive guy, the guy who ignores the hard truth. That guy thinks a positive attitude will solve problems. It won't, but neither will dwelling on the problem. No. Accept reality, but focus on the solution. Take that issue, take that setback, take that problem, and turn it into something good. Go forward, and if you are part of a team, that attitude will spread throughout. And finally, if you can say the word good, then guess what? It means you're still alive. It means you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, that means you've got some fight left in you. So get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage, and go out on the attack. His delivery of it is a lot more inspirational than mine. I just read it. But were we to look at this what we just read, we'd say, Paul, you're in prison. And Paul would say, good. And a matter of fact, that's what he does say in this chapter. Most of us would look at it and we would go, oh man, Paul's in prison. That's, that's bad. But Paul explains in this chapter, as a matter of fact, no, it's not bad. It has actually worked out for the better of the spread of the gospel. So sometimes the things that we think are setbacks, the things that we think are obstacles, the things that we think have really halted our progress. God says, no, not entirely. I've got you where I want you for the reason I want you there. Let's read together Ephesians 3, verses 2 through 13. If you're using a pew Bible, it's page 1797. Paul is going to point out that his imprisonment has served to magnify the triumph of God. Far from being defeated by the powers of this age, he's been granted a significant position to be God's messenger and to be the messenger of that plan of salvation. And so he makes God's triumph known to the defeated rulers and authorities of the present age. Chapter 3, beginning verse 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, 
which in other ages wasn't made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of His power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Christ Jesus, to the manifold, to, excuse me, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. So there it is. The circumstances of Paul haven't resulted in a defeat or stopping the message. Much more than that, Paul's circumstances have actually magnified that message in a way that is giving glory to God, but also is the glory to the church. We sit back and we know people in dire situations, even maybe such as Paul, and we go, man, I feel real bad for them. But Paul has the mindset, this is good. This is actually working out the way that God wants it to work out. If God wanted me to be a street preacher out in the middle of a busy street or a town square, that's where I'd be. If God wants me to be in prison preaching and telling the gospel and writing some of these letters, that's where I'm going to be. It's not always circumstantial. It's not always dependent upon what's happening in the moment. A lot of times what it relies on is more or less you and me being willing to say, as we sing, I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I surrender all. And when we do that, we find ourselves in a place and maybe we're like, I'm not sure about this, but you know what you can always say? God, why am I here? Where, how are you going to use me? Let me see. Let me understand. I'll give you an example. I, one of the things that I fully believe, and I made this as uh, this statement to this end as the academic year began, is that, you know, you may think for those that work in the school systems that you're just a teacher or an aide or whatever the case is. But what you may not realize is that you may be the only kind face that some of those children ever see. You may be the only shred of kindness that they encounter. You may make them feel safe, whereas at home that may not always be the case. You're not just a teacher. You're a Christian placed in a certain position to glorify God. And that can go not just for teachers, that's just an example. You know, it can go for a lot of different places. If you are a Christian, God can use you if only you're willing to get out of your own way and let Him use you. And sometimes He's going to take you to places that you might not necessarily want to go. Sometimes He may get you to come out of your comfort zone. But if you're serving the Lord, that's what really matters. And so the whole notion of being a success or a failure, you have to get that out of your mind. There's a story that a U.S. senator years ago went to visit the orphanage where Mother Teresa was caring 
for the sick and dying children over there. And after spending a full day with her, he, he went to her, pulled her aside. He said, you know, I, I just don't know how you do this day in and day out. These children are not going to get better. And it just seems like such a failure. Now her reply, notwithstanding the doctrinal differences we would have, her reply was, God has not asked me to be successful. He has asked me to be faithful. You've tried to talk to somebody about the gospel and they shut you down. And you said, I failed. And you've quit. God hasn't called you to be successful. He's called you to be faithful. You've tried to be nice to someone and do something kind for them and it wasn't well received. Obviously, that'll hurt anyone's feelings. And so you said, I'm not going to go out and be nice to anyone. Go out of my way in that fashion again. You've not been called to be successful. You've called to be faithful. And on and on and on it can go. Being faithful means you just don't give up. You keep on keeping on as much as you can to the extent that you can to the best effort that you can. In the eyes of Saul and Israel, David wasn't fit to take on Goliath. Gideon is called in a manner similarly to Moses, but the focus of the story of Gideon is not on all his strengths, but on all his inadequacies. Paul also, in his imprisonment, regarded himself as the least, less of the least of the saints. Yet in the seemingly unqualified, inadequate, and defeated characters, God triumphs. It's not about my success or failure or yours. It's about the triumph of God. Something else that I want to point out to you is the focus that is given to the church. You can look at these verses right along with me. Uh, verse 6, he alludes to the body. And you go back to chapter 1, verse 23, uh, the body is the church in that particular context. You look at verse 9, there's the mention of the fellowship. Uh, verse 10, explicitly, there's the church. Verse 15, there's the whole family. And in verse 21, there's the mention of the church again. So I left off at verse 13. Let's finish reading this chapter. We'll start at verse 14, and we'll give a little bit of sense. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever. The heavenly powers have ordered the present age, but it's the presence of the church in the world that makes known the wisdom of God. What is it when people drive by and they see a building like this, knowing it's a 
uh, place where the church meets and see all these cars here. You know, in essence, in a manner of speaking, we're fighting the good fight. There are all sorts of reasons that we could use and all sorts of excuses we could fall back on as to why we shouldn't be here or that we'd rather be somewhere else. But unity under the banner of Jesus is the church of Christ. And this is the arena where God triumphs. But the irony in this is what you read in verse 12. Paul wrote, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Paul, I got a question. How do you have boldness and access with confidence to anything? You're in prison. You're hindered. Well, he's not talking about having boldness or access to, you know, go to his favorite restaurant or go to a town square. He has all these been restricted physically, but spiritually. His body may be bound and shackled, but because he is in Christ, he enjoys access to the God of the universe who has defeated the powers that order the present age. We, the church, are the new humanity, and it isn't a building. It's us, the body of Christ, the assembly of Christians who have, fought, who have faith in Jesus and are saved. This is where God's glory is demonstrated. So you read this, or you hear this read in Ephesus, knowing where Paul is, wondering, well, what do we do now? Paul reminds them of what God has already done. I remember hearing a social commentator speaking on the issue of compelled speech recently. And he said if it came to it in his country where speech, certain speech was compelled, he said... I'm not going to use it. He said, and if they find me, I won't pay it. And if they put me in jail, I'll go on a hunger strike. You see, you can imprison the body. You can shackle the body. But the one thing you can't is the mind. We can be physically bound, oppressed, silenced, imprisoned, and on and on. But if we're in Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence to God. There's a brother in Christ. I believe he may be deceased. I'm not entirely sure. So if you know him, please let me know. But uh, his name was Bob Sperlin. He was a preacher for the church for three decades. In 1995, Brother Sperlin was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And so for a time, he was, you know, he would come and preach as he could, but he was deteriorating, so he went from being in a wheelchair to fully confined to his bed. His wife was working at the time, but Medicare and the insurance that she had through the school system wasn't sufficient to care for his medical needs. So Brother Tom Holland, who's one of my heroes, who was a good friend of Bob's, he went to him and he urged him to write a book. Now what was interesting is that Bob could not use his hands. And so you think 95, 96 in that area, I, don't, I didn't know the technology existed then, but it did. So they got him this uh, contraption to where he spoke into the microphone and it wrote it out for him. But he wrote a book and then uh, 
Brother Tom Holland and uh, Bob Sane, Paul Sane, excuse me, who, who published it, would go around encouraging people to buy it because the proceeds went to help offset any expenses they had. Now, for a man who was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, some of you know what that's about and you know how brutal it can be. Something else happened just a few days after he was diagnosed with MS. His daughter died in a car accident. So he's lost the use of his body. He can't earn a living for his family. He's mourning his daughter, trying to make ends meet. How would that make you feel? What, where would you be? What headspace? Maybe bitter? And we can be honest, some of us would be bitter. I've seen how some of you are. You can't sit still for two seconds. You've got to always be doing something. But what if you were trapped in a body to where you couldn't do anything and somebody had to do it for you? Somebody had to move you, clean you, care for you? How would you feel? Defeated? The name of the book that Bob wrote and I want to urge you, we may have a copy in the library. I want to urge you, though, if you're going through tough times, if you're facing obstacles, if you're struggling with circumstances, write this down. The author is Bob Sperlin, S-P-U-R-L-I-N. The title of his book, Don't Ever Give Up. When you know the state that he was in, and you read that book, Here's a man that probably has every reason to be bitter, to be sad, to be depressed, but he is writing a book telling his brothers and sisters in Christ who are going through dire circumstances, don't ever give up. He used the opportunity of his illness to take a moment and try to encourage others. He kept on keeping on. The only other selfless act, more selfless than that, was our Savior coming in the flesh. Coming in the flesh, becoming something that He wasn't, divesting Himself of all the abilities and qualities of what it was to be at the right hand of the Father. He took on this. I know around here some of us uh, have health issues, some of us have aches and pains, some are going through treatments, maybe even facing surgeries. If God called you ahead of time and said, I'm thinking about coming down in the flesh, would you really recommend it? He came as one of us. Yet he was the Son of God, God in the flesh. And he selflessly lived on this earth. He served people. He gave himself up in death. And they might have looked at it and thought, this is a defeat. The Son of God was crucified. It wasn't supposed to go this way. And maybe they thought it was a defeat until that Sunday morning when those ladies... Those sisters found that empty tomb. Did you ever think for a second that the very first to ever proclaim the resurrection were women? 
They go back to Peter and the twelve, and they, he is risen. And so what happens? Peter, James, John, and some of them, they just... I, I, I love, if you read the Gospel of John, I love that he put... He doesn't say I, he says, but the one whom the Lord loved outran Peter. Essentially, John was saying, I got there first, I beat Peter. Right, okay, John, thanks. We needed to know that for Bible Bowl. But they go and they say, he is not here. But then when they see him, he stays among them and is seen by over 500 people in a period of 40 days. What looked, at, what looked as defeat was actually God's plan all along. And they had to be transformed through the renewal of their mind to understand it. In what looks like a hopeless set of circumstances, in what looks like an, an utter defeat, God is triumphing. And Paul says, I in prison ask you not to take pity on me. Don't be sad for my circumstances because God is triumphing in those circumstances. Our triumph, if we have any at all in this world, begins with us dying to self and living to God. It's not always easy. You know, one of the hardest parts, at least in my opinion, of being a Christian is repentance. Repentance, the Greek word metanoia, uh, it means to change your mind. To change my mind to be more like the heart of God, the mind of Christ, that's probably something we all struggle with. In a certain environment, it would be very easy to be that person, but we're not always in that certain environment. We're in the world, but not to be of it. So if you catch yourself off, remember what Jesus has done, how He has triumphed, and remember how selflessly He died for us to save us. I'll tell, i got to tell you, I got a call, I think it was Thursday, from, from uh, Miss Patty telling me about Mr. Danny wanting to be baptized. And so we, we had a plan, okay. And then Friday evening she called me. She's like, you know, can we do it tomorrow? Absolutely. So 10.30, here we come, Mr. Danny, and, and he goes up, we go up and, and, and help him and get in that water, and I ask him that question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I do. I'll now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. Took him down, brought him back up. He received a lot of spiritual blessings in that moment. But I'm going to tell you, I was blessed to have been there and to take part of it. Now, he's a babe in Christ, but not a babe in the world. Dare I say, he is a mature gentleman. I say that to say that it's not too late for you. It's never too late, and no one is ever too far gone to receive the mercy and the salvation that the Lord offers. And if you have not yet received that, We'd love to help you obtain it. If you are a Christian and you need to transform your mind, you need to get right with the Lord, we'll be glad to pray. I love how it's like I'm not even talking. Y'all are so predictable. <laughs> but if any wishes to come forward, we'll minister you. Just come as we stand and sing.